You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, it is great being with you guys. My name is Ryan. Uh, For those of you that are new, so glad that you decided to join us uh, this Easter uh, Sunday. So it is an exciting time to be here. Easter is one of my favorite times of the year. It's essential. It's crucial to the Christian faith. For the Christian faith, it is the most important event of our year because it validates everything that we believe. And so, you know, but not only about the, the holiday or the historical event is fun about Easter, but in the North Valley, I don't know if you know, but the hot air balloons, how cool are those? Every time this year you see these hot air balloons, this morning I was out driving, um, heading, heading out here uh, for the church, and this guy got a little too low. And uh, I'm filming, and then I start feeling guilty because I'm like, I'm filming because I just can't afford to miss this opportunity. It hits the light pole and then pops the balloon. Thankfully, they're just like a foot off the ground. But here's the funny thing about the people in the basket. As I'm filming, they're looking at me, and they're like filming, and they're going, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. I used to be a river rafting guide in college and it was really funny. Every time we would like flip the boat, it was seriously, like it was, it was class three, class four whitewater. People would almost die. And then after it was over, they would say to me, that was awesome. Here's a big tip. I'm like, oh, that's how you get tips. Just flip the boat and let people tip you. Um, maybe this guy got a big tip today. I really hope so because he popped his balloon. Hey, this morning we're in a message uh, about Easter called The Reason to Believe. Um, Lee Strobel is an American Christian author and a former investigative journalist. Um, He was an atheist uh, with the Chicago Tribune, and he investigated the claims of Jesus Christ. Watch this. I love you more than you'll ever know. I talked to Jesus. What? I feel like they're not here with me. Well, whose fault is that, Leslie? I understand that all this feels good right now. I get that you want this to be true. But what if it's not? Wouldn't you want to know that before you've dedicated your entire life to it? Of course. But what if it is? What if it is true? Wouldn't you want to know that? Lee Strobel said this, he says, in short, I became, I did not become a Christian because God promised me I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised me any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine emotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead, and that meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. You know, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. I was that punk, thug, rebellious, renegade teenage kid that every mom wishes she didn't have. That was me. Then I become a Christian at 18, Literally, my life was a train wreck, and I was headed nowhere really fast, and I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ because I saw my friends' lives transformed. But what happened when I went to college? I started questioning everything I believed. 
I started wondering if the faith that I had that I was raised in my home, was that just my mom and dad's faith? And were the transformations that I saw in my friends, was that just self-help or was that the spirit of God changing their lives? So I studied world religion when I was in college for a bit under a Jewish professor who didn't tell me he was Jewish at the time um, because he didn't want to present a bias, and we studied world religion. And I took Jesus, and I compared him to Buddha, Muhammad, and everybody else I could get my hands on to read and study. And I came out with a stronger, more vibrant, more confident faith that the decision that I had made was the, the right decision. What I want to read to you today is the um, commentary that the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Corinth in the first century. The Apostle Paul is the most brilliant-minded man, perhaps, that's ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus. He writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. He says, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom still are alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. My question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that has been raised from the dead? Do you believe that he was crucified, he was buried, and he had risen again? My guess is most of you are convinced. I think there's four kinds of people in the room today. The convinced I'm convinced. I'm convinced he really is the son of God. So what does the message have to do for me? The apostle Paul said in the very beginning, I would remind you brothers. I would remind you all that believe in Jesus Christ of the essentials of the gospel. I believe some of you are convinced and here's the reality, we all need reminding. Some of you are curious. I have these conversations all the time. I ask him, what kind of background do you have in your faith? And the response is, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a Christian. Maybe today you came here today and you're curious and you would call yourself spiritual. Here's my encouragement to you. Seek and you will find. Some of you are confused. You're not really sure if you can really rely on the Bible as the authority of scripture. Is it really God's word Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he just a myth, a fable, a fairy tale? Did he really rise from the dead? Some of you are confused. You're not really sure. When I had this conversation with some family members that were in the New Age movement, 
I told them, I said, the most important thing you could do is go to the Gospels and just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and take the historical accounts of the life of Jesus and study those. I want to encourage you, if you're confused, go to the Gospels. Listen to this message very closely. Lastly, some of you are closed. Your heart is literally calloused. You are closed. You are not open to anything towards Christianity. You perhaps have labeled yourself an agnostic or an atheist. Here's my encouragement to you. Study. Be open. God will not force his way in, but I will tell you this. You are not here by chance. You're here by God's providence. I would challenge you not just to rush in and make an emotional decision, but you can take an intellectual approach to the Christian faith. If you're the closed guy or the gal here today, I want to encourage you, you can pick up one of these books. I'll give it to you called The Case for Christ. If you don't like to read, it's free on Netflix. Draw attention. Let me, let me, let me just draw your attention to what the Apostle Paul taught. I believe there's five reasons that the Apostle Paul gave us that we can have sufficient reason to believe. The first is simply the support of scriptures. If you study the pattern of scripture, whatever is repeated is really important. The Apostle Paul mentions in verses three and four scriptures two times. He says this, that Christ died for our sins. He went to the cross for your sin, my sin. And then he says, in accordance with scripture. The psalmist predicts hundreds of years before the crucifixion that Jesus, the Messiah, would be crucified for sins. Isaiah predicts the same thing, presenting the Messiah as the suffering servant. The Apostle Paul thought in his mind that he was once a devout Jew awaiting the Messiah, was simply preaching the fulfillment of this long-awaited Messiah. He didn't see it as two competing religions that he was, was within Judaism and Christianity. He saw Christianity as the completion of what the Jews had long awaited for. I get my hair cut at V's Barbershop, a bunch of Russian Orthodox Jews, and we have this conversation from time to time. Um, I invite them, especially on Easter and Christmas. And I told my buddy the other day, I said, hey, you should come on Easter. And he's like, no, no, we crucified your Lord on Good Friday. We're not coming. I said, okay, fair point. Okay, Christmas. You should come to Christmas. What we see, though, here is that the support of scriptures is, is incredible. There are over 300 prophecies or predictions that were made about Jesus some 400 and 450 years before the birth of Jesus, all of which are fulfilled in his life, death, burial, and resurrections. Prophecies like his unique beginning, born in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, that there would be a star that would help guide wise men to see this birth. His one-of-a-kind one kind life, the miracles, his ministry, his message. Then there's his death, his burial and resurrection, all being predicted hundreds of years before. The Apostle Paul says, stop and look at the scriptures. Everything was according to scripture. So what are the chances? Statisticians have asked the question, what are the chances or the probability of just a few of these prophecies or predictions being fulfilled in one single person? The probability or statistic is done according 
to a widely accepted mathematical calculation and reviewed by a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. And they write this. We find that the chance of any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled a few of the prophecies. There's hundreds, 300 plus about Jesus, Jesus' life. They say a few of these prophecies being fulfilled is one in 10 to the 15th power. That's a mega number called quadrillion. It's one in quadrillion chances. So let me help you comprehend the probability of Jesus fulfilling these prophecies just happenstance. Let me help you illustrate that. In order to comprehend this, imagine if I have a quadrillion of these little coins right here. This is a $1 coin. It's a Susan B. Anthony. And imagine if I somehow had the coins laid over the great state of Arizona from every side, north, south, east, west. And then I stack them two feet high. But then I take a marker on this one coin right here and I just put a little mark on the edge of the coin. Then I fly over in a helicopter, whiz it out. And then I say to one of you, who who wants to go find that coin? Where did you take it, Ryan? I'm not telling. So you go out on a great mission to look for that one coin with the one mark two feet high, stacked up, side to side, all over the state, the chances of you finding that one coin is one in quadrillion chances. That's the same probability of just a few of the prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But there's not just a few, ladies and gentlemen, there are roughly 300 prophecies made about Jesus four to 500 years before his birth, all of which have been fulfilled in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. My point is, is that if you were to go to a library and say, hey, I need a book on prophecies, predictions, the greatest library in the world, the librarian would probably give you a bunch of books. But then if you said, whoa, 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 I want a book where they actually, a few of those prophecies have been fulfilled. The librarian would take back the books and give you one book, the Bible. The support of scriptures is huge. The second support that I think gives us reason to believe is that the tomb was empty. The Apostle Paul, this was crucial. He said that if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then all of our Christian faith is just futile. It's, it's, it's fruitless. There's no point in it. The tomb was empty. It was ra- he records that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Some of you say, well, maybe, this has been a popular theory, um, maybe he faked his death. I'm like, okay, Tupac did that. Elvis Presley, people say Tupac and Elvis did that. You can literally go on Google and find there's a secret viewing society for Elvis. And Tupac supposedly was spotted in Malaysia last week. So what about Jesus? Did he fake his death? There are theories of that. Some people say someone stole his body. It's been labeled a conspiracy theory. No, the disciples did not steal his body. The disciples would have had to concoct this incredibly complex plan. You captured the story of the gospel. They were surprised. They were shocked. They were floored. They didn't understand that Jesus was actually going to get crucified right away. They were hoping that he would take up the rightful reign and be king and overthrow Rome and fulfill everything that the the Jews had long awaited for. 
Or what about the guards? They would have had to have been seriously bribed. Or what about the witnesses that would have had to have been arranged? Or what about the body of Jesus? No one's ever found the body of Jesus. His body, he's alive. He's, he's not dead. There is no body to be found because he is alive. There's also the swoon theory, the idea that Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. Many Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. Uh, many others believe that there's this idea that maybe he just fell into an unconscious state and was later revived in the tomb and somehow rolled the stone away after being scourged and crucified. Let me just tell you, no one has ever survived a Roman crucifixion, not in the history of the world. The Romans were precise and powerful, deadly. No one's ever survived Rome's crucifixion. The guards would have ensured his death, and they did when they took the spear and they thrust it into his side. And water and blood came out. He died of asphyxiation. He suffocated on the cross. He, was, he died. He was buried just according to the scriptures. And even if he was alive, there's no way he could roll away the stone. There is the empty tomb. Perhaps maybe a greater symbol for our Christian faith isn't a cross, but it would be an empty tomb. But that just wouldn't look cool on our neck, so we don't do that. The eyewitness accounts. The Apostle Paul lays this out, and he says that he appeared to Cephas, that's to Peter. He says, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time. It's interesting, Lee Strobel tried to really... Struggle. He really went hard to figure out maybe, okay, maybe there's an empty tomb, but what about the eyewitness accounts? And then you have 500 people witnessing Jesus resurrected, alive and well. Scripture tells us it wasn't decades after the event of the resurrection or the crucifixion. It was months. And he presented himself for 40 days. Lee Strobel was frustrated with that and went to a psychologist and said, is there some way that you could, like a, a trickster could perform like a mass crowd hypnosis and get them to hallucinate and to see a risen Lord? It's impossible. You can't do that. I had a neighbor once who was a professional hypnosis guy and kind of scary, but he was he would do hypnosis and he would have to work one-on-one -on -one. and he talked about the power of suggestion and he could get people to do things or see things or whatever. It was just different. But that's never been done to a crowd before. The eyewitness account is unparalleled. There's hundreds and hundreds of people that witness this and it's affirmed by Josephus, a Jewish historian, and others that say, no, we had eyewitnesses account for the resurrected Christ. Here's what Luke, the historian, says in Acts 1-3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. He has ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. He rules. He reigns. The faith that you and I have, we must be reminded it is a strong faith. It is the right faith. For those that are curious, seek and you will find. For those of you that are closed, open your heart. Open your mind. Christianity is not just some whimsical, emotional pathway to holiness. The greatest commandment in all the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. 
Fourthly, the Apostle Paul mentions all these apostles. Where did they go? What did they do? The fourth point I'd like to highlight to you is that martyrs don't die for a lie. These guys died a brutal death. He had mentioned Peter, he'd mentioned James, and he had mentioned himself. So what about Peter? What happened to Peter? Cephas. He was martyred in Rome in 66 AD during the persecution under Nero. He was crucified upside down at his request because he did not feel himself to be worthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord. Or James. James was clubbed and beaten to death according to the uh, historian Josephus. Or Paul. Paul was beheaded in Rome in the same year that Peter was. All dying for what they believed that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. And you say to me, well, radical Muslims do that. They die for what they believe. Yes, they do, but they die believing it is true. And what you find in the first century is a, not just a few people dying for their faith, but a hundreds of Christians dying for their faith because they believe it so strong. Here's what Tertullian wrote, a first century prolific Christian writer, apologist, teacher, and former lawyer observed about church growth. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, he said. And then he went on to say, is we Christians are but of yesterday, and yet we already fill your cities, your islands, camps, your palace, senate, and form. We have left you only your temples. He's speaking to Rome, the pagan temples. See, there was a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that had supernatural ramifications. It was a, the stamp that was Jesus is the Son of God. He has power over nature. He has power over people. He has power over the whole world. There was a massive earthquake that took place at, when, the, when Jesus was crucified. There was another earthquake that took place that rolled the stone away. There was angelic visitation. It was a supernatural historical event. And then lastly, we see the last proof of the transformed life. The apostle Paul says, here's another reason. He says for, in verse 9, I'm least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is a guy in Hebrew settings was called Saul. In, 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 in other settings, in the Greek setting, he was called Paul. Saul and Paul, same guy. But Saul was a devout Jew who hated Christians in the early days. He didn't understand them. He thought they were off, miscalculated. He thought they were a threat to his historical religion. He was a zealot, a powerful zealot. And he persecuted the church so much that he would get arrest, arrest warrants, drag Christian men and women off from their places of worship, and then have them tried and hopefully put to death. He had a guy by the name of Stephen stoned to death. This is a guy who hated Christianity and then meets Jesus on the road to Damascus after he is resurrected in his new resurrected body. Jesus presents himself to Paul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has this massive conversion experience. Then he goes on to be the greatest theologian that Christianity has ever had. He has done more for the work 
in the words of Jesus Christ than anybody else has. He becomes the most influential, powerful missionary, and then he dies a martyr's death. For me, when I first made that decision to trust Jesus Christ, I was at a dead end. My life was lame. I tried everything. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Did that and figured out it was a dead end. And then I made that decision to trust Jesus Christ. And I watched my friends around me and their lives transformed. And I said, there must be a God. The power of a transformed life. Here's the story of a good friend of mine, Tommy. Watch this. Well, Tommy, tell us about how you first got connected to North Valley. Well, when I first came to the North Valley, um, I didn't start there. I started a neighborhood group. But uh, it was reached out by neighbors that moved in, and uh, I think they could see. I was, I was a broken man. Um, I was, went through a divorce, a uh, single father. I felt like I failed my kids. I failed as a father. I failed as a husband. And I had no connection with God at that time. One day when I was coming out of the gym, uh, I looked up and I seen the uh, Harkett's Theater and I decided, I was like, you know what, maybe today's the day I should go. And I walked in and shorts and a sweaty t-shirt and uh, nobody judged me or anything. I went in there and uh, worship music started playing and I just loved it. It just like connected me. I came back the second week is when it really started for me for, with you. You started talking to me as if nobody else was in the room and you knew my story and everything you were saying God was speaking right to me through you. And then after that, like, I didn't miss a single service for like a year and a half. Came every week. So talk to us about how God used North Valley to change your life. You know, I started coming to church every week. I literally felt like if I didn't show up, I'd miss something, and I didn't want to miss anything. So I had this huge uh, desire to learn more about God and and it was showing how he was you know affecting my life and uh, shortly after that i accepted christ as my savior and i got baptized here at the church which um you know just helped impact everyone around me everybody started seeing a difference in me and i didn't know what it was but they all recognized it and uh, thankfully it helped me attract a beautiful woman like my wife alina so how is this Easter going to be different? Well, you know, not only do I have Jesus in my life now, but I also have a God-centered marriage with my wife, Alina, and our six kids. So this is going to be our first Easter together, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, you know, it's also just great because uh, my family has been coming a lot more to church, too. They've been not just a church. They've been coming to this church all the way from... Apache Junction and Mesa, they would drive all the way over here because they want to be a part of this church as well. So I'm just really excited what God's got next for us. Hey, it's so cool seeing the life uh, transform. And uh, Tommy and family, so glad you guys are here today driving all the way out here. 
Listen, friends, before we leave today, I want to give you the opportunity not to miss the opportunity. The Bible says that to all who believed in him, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. You can believe but not receive. I want to encourage you, if, you are, if you're today, you say, I believe in Jesus. I've heard enough. I'm ready to make that decision for Christ. Today, you want to receive him. I'm going to pray in just a moment for you to pray to receive Jesus Christ. So many have done it before, and it's the beginning point where you can say, on Easter, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and that was the beginning of a new season of my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work that you have done in the life of Tommy and so many of my friends and my family around the country. Thank you that you are alive and that your message is true. And Lord, for all those today that say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, I pray that they would pray something simple like this. Jesus, I'm coming to you today. I need you to change my life. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my shortcomings. And I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. You are Jesus Christ, the Lord. And today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the Lord. And I put all my hope in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer and it was true in your heart and mind, the Bible says that you're born again, that you're adopted into God's family, and now this is your new family. And you'll be reunited with all those believers around the world one day. And so today's the day that you made that decision. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. And for all of us that believe in Jesus, we can be even thoroughly more convinced and be reminded of the sweet promise of Jesus, that he brings new life, that he brings new hope, and that we have in Christ. So in just a moment, our ushers are going to be coming forward to receive an offering. And if those of you that are new, you're like, this is my first time here, we've got a gift for you. Don't feel obligated to give anything today. If you'd like to, you can drop your Connect card in there today. And I want to encourage you, at some level, you just need prayer or you want, to, you, you want to let us know that you made a decision today to rededicate your life to Christ or to follow Jesus Christ and pray that this first time. Take a few minutes just to fill that out right now. And then in just a few minutes, when our ushers come forward to receive the offering, you could drop it in there if you'd like. So when you give, I do want to tell you, it makes a big difference. We went down to Mexico this year, and this year was really cool. We have... We got to build a house for a family in need. And this year, I just want you to know the impact your giving makes. Jose and Evelyn, a family that we've adopted down in Mexico to help support and encourage, they've got the hope this Easter that they'll be moving into their new home. So can I say thank you just for a moment for all of you who've given it, sir. Well, as the offering comes around, um, you guys can drop those Connect cards in there and uh, give as you feel led. So, so grateful for what God's doing here in and through our church. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.